approximately 35 years ago. Just a new convert sitting on a pew. An evangelist came through that sang like Phil Driscoll and preached like nobody else. And a friendship started between evangelist and sister Paul Elder and brother Rick Mayo. A friendship that has spanned over three decades and will go all the way to heaven. And I love, yes. I don't plan on, I don't plan on going back. There ain't nothing to go back to. There ain't nothing back there. Well, we are so delighted to have brother and sister elder and their daughter Melody. Did they not sing under the unction of the Holy Ghost? Beautiful. We want him to come and preach. And in this altar call, we've got a, at least one baptism today. There probably will be more than another one before the Holy Ghost gets done. But I am so expecting God to continue to do great things. Would you put your hands together under the Lord for the man of God as he comes to preach? Come and preach to us, Brother Elder. Oh, come on. Give it to him like you mean it. If that was the president, that would be okay, but this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Give him the praise. Give him the praise. Yeah. Woo. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Bishop Mayo. And uh, thank you for allowing us to come. Sister Mayo, dear mercy. The first time Sister Ellen Mayo and I sang together, where's she at? She's probably walking around this massive complex, making sure everything's all right. I know how pastor's wives do this stuff. First time I, I sang with her, she was Ellen Bertram. And uh, we did a big concert together. I remember that. I was playing the trumpet. I still have that trumpet, by the way. Every now and then I take it out and play it just to prove to everybody I can do it. It's actually my first love. And they had prayer rooms on the side of the building where I was preaching there in Sacramento, the old building. And when church started, this wild man come out of the prayer room. And he was doing this helicopter business. Praise God! I hope he's doing that when he's 90 years old. I hope he never loses that passion. The Bible says when Micah looked out her window and saw David dancing before the Lord, she scorned him. And she made fun of him. But it didn't intimidate David. He said, woman, if you think that's something, I'll be more vile the next time I praise him. How many of you made up your mind? Ain't no devil in hell. 
stop the praise and the passion in my life. If this is your first time here and you're in a Pentecostal church, if you do it right, it's good for your health. Get plenty of exercise. Now, if you're half backslid and compromised and you just sit there like a mule looking at a new gate, it's not as healthy for you. But if you're sold out and passionate, it's good for your health. say again thank you pastor and sister Mayo the wonderful hospitality everything is so first class this this is my first time in this building and this is absolute look what the Lord has done look what the Lord has done through your obedience and your sacrifice and and this ain't all I, I heard the vision there's a bigger building coming after we fill this one up and it, we're doing a pretty good job here but we ain't doing good enough. We need to get it filled faster. Jesus is coming. Amen. I see some wonderful friends. I started to say old friends, but we're not old. We just got a lot of miles on us. Brother and Sister Sergeant, we love you so much. And I see some Pueblo people. I saw Sister Shauna and Sister, uh, is it Felicia? Alicia and Sister Serenity, and uh, love them very, very much. Seen God do great work in their life, and they are in Pueblo, and they moved up here. Thank God there's a good church. I don't recommend you move unless there's a good church. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you money's worth more than your soul. It's not. Praise God. But anyway, that's a message for another day. Love my wife. She's been doing this thing with me for almost 40 years now. And uh, she is my personal church secretary. So I tell people, man, I've had this thing going with my church secretary for 40 years. There's just some fodder for social media. Praise God. And then my beautiful daughter, who, when I grow up, I want to I wanna sing and preach like she does. Praise God. She can preach better than she can sing. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning. I, I actually feel like God is going to do some very special things in this house. I was going to go another way. I was going to preach this message, really impress you and show you how good I could preach. But I don't feel that. I feel like the Lord wants to, He wants to take preeminence in this place. How many of you would just want the Lord to do some powerful things in this place? And I have a burden on my heart for some very dear friends. I won't call their name. But I am praying today will be a special day for them. Their 19-year-old son committed suicide last week. Apostolic family. Don't think Satan's not trying to get in your life and in your children. That's why we worship God and are as passionate as we are. I know we're having a good time around here, but 
underneath all this, there's a war going on. I plan on winning this war. I'm not second guessing. I plan on winning this. How many of you plan on winning this war? Just pray with me over that situation today that God would do some special things. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm glad there's a clock up there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse number 1. And the apostle Paul writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech. Now he could. He was brilliant. I didn't come with wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a lot of froth and a lot of churn going on in this, even in the church world. But this is all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And the reason why he came with demonstration of the Spirit and in power is that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of God. I don't have time to preach on faith like I want to preach. I'm going to preach on faith, but I'm going to go in a different direction. But it's important to know that you can't just have, you know, people say, well, I believe. Well, what do you believe in? Your faith has got to be invested in, you, you invest your faith in stuff every day you don't even realize. You drive over a bridge, you have confidence in an architect and those engineers that built those bridges. And you drive over them every day. You get in an airplane and you have faith in the engineers that built that airplane and the workers that constructed that airplane and the pilots that fly that airplane. Well, some of you still had not got enough faith to try it yet. See what I'm saying? Your faith cannot just stand alone. And so he says, the reason I came to you in demonstration and power is that your faith would not stand in man's wisdom, but in the, but in the power of God. How many of you want your faith to be in the power of God? of God now turn on ahead with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and I want to go to verse or chapter 11 this is the archive or the this is where the heroes of faith are listed in the Old Testament and I want to look at one hero of faith in verse number 31 by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So Hebrew introduces you to her. Hebrews is a hard book to know if you have not read the Old Testament and are familiar with it. So let's go to the book of, of, of Joshua and let's look at this in the Old Testament. Verse number one of chapter two, I believe it is. And Joshua, the son of Nun, 
sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come unto thee, which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, Thus there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. The Bible says, verse number, uh, and before they were laid down, she, uh, she came up to them. Did I miss a verse there? On the roof. And she said unto the men, I know, back up there, I think I missed it where it said they, they, she lied to these soldiers that came to her. I want to show you all the sins of this woman. She was a harlot. She actually was a temple prostitute is what she was. She lied to these people. She was living this terrible life, but she was hiding these two men from Israel. And so, uh, let's go back to that verse. She goes up to these two men, and she says that, uh, and, and it came to pass, yeah, verse number five, it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate. When it was dark, the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof of her house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid upon the roof. And the other soldiers pursued after the way to Jordan into the fords. I can see all of this in my mind. I was just here about six weeks ago. And Jericho is here and you go south across the Jordan River into Jordan. Jordan is a desolate place. It's another story. And before they were laid down, she came up to them on the roof and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the kings of the Amorites, and on the other side of Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is Lord of heaven, above, and earth beneath. And so I want to preach just for a few minutes this morning, afternoon, whatever time it is. The reason for the spies. The reason for the spies. Can you put your Bibles down and let's talk to him like he's our father. Let's don't act like he's a stranger right now. Can we just give him the praise that he's worthy of? We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Come on, let's praise him like he's worthy. Hallelujah. 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 We love you. We praise you. Praise God, praise God. 
You may be seated. Now, now it's been a while since I've been here. used to be you could shout. You've always been able to shout with the beat, but can you shout with the meat? Can you shout with the meat today? There's a lot of there's a lot of what's being defined as human compassion today. They're making a whole lot of big deal and and because of social media, you see a lot of things that are portrayed as human compassion today. But in all of this, not much is being say, said excuse me, about the value of a human being's soul. They talk about the value of our environment, and they talk about the value of whales, and they talk about the value of monkeys, and talk about the value, and they don't talk much about the value of a baby, but, you know, I didn't get too many amens on that, but... I just thought I'd throw that in there. And they're, and, and they're trying to redefine human compassion to fit their narratives. But they don't say a whole lot about the human soul and the value of the soul. And I could spend a whole lot of time right here talking about how valuable our soul is. In fact, the Bible said to don't fear, Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill the body, but fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul. Now, however y'all believe, I don't know, but I don't think that you can separate the soul from the body. Only God can do that, and I don't really believe he does that. The soul is the fingerprint of the body. The Bible does not say when God breathed into man that he gave man a living soul. The Bible says when he breathed the breath of life into man, that man became a living soul. And the breath of God separated him from all other animals because God breathed in him. And something happened when the breath of God came through the larynx of humanity. God gave man the ability to speak as he does because of the breath of God. That's how powerful and miraculous and how creative the breath of God is. And man became creative and powerful like God. And that's what the Bible says. That's the whole battle between idolatry and, and one God. Idolatry portrays imagery. But God comes to us through his word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. There was not anything made that was made without him. And he was in the world and the world knew him not. So God sent a man of God to declare the word of God. And when the word of God is preached, that breath begins to work again. The spirit begins to flow while the preaching is going on and miracles begin to take place. And you come in here with attitudes of defeat and failure and suicide and attitudes of I can't do this. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God 
and pretty soon that word washes out that despair. Instead of talking defeat, all of a sudden you start declaring victory. You start speaking victory. You start speaking healing. You start, that's the power of the word of God. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to praise him like you lost your mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so occasionally you can find someone that will care for the human being. And occasionally you will find people that actually care for the human soul. Paul writes in Philippians of 2, I think it may be 13 or somewhere around there. He said, all men seek their own and not the things of Christ. And, uh, but occasionally you will find people, especially when they get the Holy Ghost, that they begin to understand the value of their own soul. And when they understand the value of their own soul, then they begin to understand that all souls are valuable to God. I don't care what color that soul is. It don't matter what kind of education or lack of education that soul has. It doesn't matter if that soul has money. It doesn't matter if that soul doesn't have money. You know, we settled the race issue a long time ago in the church. Now, I know there's there's churches that haven't settled that race issue, but the real church settled that issue a long time ago. A long time ago. If I had time, I would preach to you that on the book in the book of Acts, there were 17 different nationalities, and all 17 of them heard one tongue. And it was translated, that one tongue was translated into their language, and they could understand the one that's the power of when you receive the Holy Ghost. That's why we believe in speaking in tongues around here, because that's how powerful that is. But the Spirit of God reached for Every soul, every soul, every soul is precious to God. I read a story one time. I think the guy's name was Nicholas. Oh, what was his last name? You can look it up and read it. I sat and sobbed when I read the story. I couldn't get that that printer's out of ink. So I'm preaching off my iPhone this morning. Or it may not be the printer. Can you believe I have a master's degree, but this stuff scares the bejeebers out of me. This technology, man, I can't get, I can't get a handle on it here. But, uh, oh, his name was Nicholas Winton. Anybody ever read about Nicholas Winton? Nicholas Winton was a Czechoslovakian Jew, but he actually escaped to England in the 1930s. And when Hitler took over in uh in Germany and began to uh, spread his gospel of hatred across Eastern Europe. Nicholas, by himself, nobody knew about this, he secretly would go into Czechoslovakia and there were parents that were sent off to Auschwitz and they died in the prison camp of Auschwitz. But he would snatch those children and he personally would carry them out of Czechoslovakia. He was a businessman that was going in and out of there. And he rescued over 669 children. And he never told a soul. He did not even tell his wife. And for 50 years, she didn't know she was married to that kind of a hero. 
Nobody knew that he was that kind of a hero. Nobody knew of the compassion and the love that this man had for souls. And one day she was digging around in the attic and she found these journals. And in these journals, he was a businessman and he had carefully recorded each one of those children and he put a picture by it. And she was so moved at the love that her husband and the heroic efforts of putting his life on the line every time that he went in there. Uh, she got a hold of a journalist and the journalist got a hold of some kind of a television program. Some of you may have seen it. I don't know when I got the Holy Ghost, I got rid of my television. But I, I have seen video clips of it's It's very touching. And she doesn't even, and, and she got a hold of, of, of these people and they put together this party for Nicholas and at this party they had him come in and he was surrounded by adults in their 40s and 50s and some of them even their, in their 60s they had to be in their 50s or 60s because it was 50 years ago and these older professional people there was, there was over 100 of them probably 200 still alive when I saw the video and he's sitting on the front and they had all of these people stand up and he turned to face them, and these were the surviving children that he had found parents for them in England. He had found people that would take them under. He did not just take them over and leave them there, but he found a way for them to survive in, in Britain, and this was the love. And you sit there, I sobbed as I watched him wipe tears out of his eyes. He never knew what happened to those people, but they're living. They have a professional life today. They have families. They have children because he understood the value of a human being and their soul. There are others that are like that. One of my greatest heroes in, in American history is a little African-American lady. She was maybe 4 feet 11, but history says she was string, extremely strong. She was a slave, and her job was to cut wood. One of, she was well known because she had a terrible scar across her face. The scar came from a time when she was cutting wood and her master became so furious at her that he tried to kill her and he, and he, and he almost did. She went into a coma for days after he hit her with the axe, just a young lady. And finally Harriet Tubman could take it no more. Her, she was known as the, the Moses of her people. They still talk about her but not a lot is known about her they just you you know what the media has said to you but I've studied her life because she's a hero in my life I'm convinced Harriet Tubman had the Holy Ghost she was a very spiritual woman and one day she had enough and she looked at her husband I may get to this I may not I'm just following the Holy Ghost is that all right with y'all <clears throat> and she said I'm not living in slavery anymore and he was too scared to go with her and he said, baby, if they catch you, they will kill us. And she said, I don't care. I'd rather die than live in this slavery. This is an incredible story. You got an unsaved husband? Listen to this. She left. 
She made it. She went from Maryland, and it wasn't too far her first journey. It was about 150 miles into, uh, I think it was Massachusetts, where she was free. But something got a hold of Harriet Tubman. She saw the plight of her people, and she made up her mind, I'm going to save as many of my people as I can. And she would make forays into the south, and she would find people. First was her family. It was several years later, but she ultimately saved her husband. He saw how successful she was and how determined she was, and she brought her husband out totally set free. So, sis, just keep on praying and just stay determined. I'm not going back in that bondage. I'm not going back to that life. You're not going to take me back. Devil, I've come too far. I'm not turning around I'm not only gonna I'm not only gonna be saved, but I'm taking as many people with me as I can take with me. She made over 300 journeys deep into the south and they passed laws that even if they caught you in the northern states with slaves, you were under capital punishment even in the northern states. So she could no longer stop in Massachusetts and she could no longer stop in, in, in some of the, uh, the places where she was going. She had to go all the way to Canada. It was a 2,000 mile trip. She, she brought over 300 of her people out and never got caught one time. They had a price tag on her head of over $50,000. Now you figured out in the, in the 1850s and 60s, $50,000 would be like several million dollars today. That's the price tag they put on her head uh, because she was so effective and they never caught her. She would pray and God would give her visions and show her how to escape. One time she was helping this big old man escape and he lost his nerve. And he looked at her and he said, I'm going back. And she said, no, you ain't. He said, you can't stop me. She said, oh, yes, I can. She said, you can't go back. She said, they'll torture you. And they'll tell you all of my secret places that were hiding. You can't go back, boy. And he said, I'm bigger than you are. He said, you ain't going to stop me. And she spun around and put a 45 on his nose. Cocked. And she said, you's got to go free or you's got to die. Make up your mind right now. That's a real story. He got to go free. And she carried him all the way. God, give me that kind of spirit. Give me that kind of determination. Give me the determination that I'm going to get as many people out of hell as I can. I'm going to tell you something. Watching my friends go through the torment the other day, Brother Mayo, something got a hold of me. I'm in a war with the devil. I am in a war with the devil. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to get as many people as I can get out of the throes of hell. I'm going to do what I got to do to see the revival that God wants us to have. Rahab was such a girl. If I had time this morning, I'd talk about the culture that Rahab lived in. Man, I feel like preaching today. Y'all bored with this? Good, I'd preach it anyway, but I'm so glad you're not bored with it. 
Rahab was born. I was in Jericho a few weeks ago. I be, God began to talk to me about this. Now, the Jericho today is not the Jericho that was then. It's actually a couple of miles away. It's, it's, a, it's a ruin. It's called Tell Jericho. A tell is a ruin. And they are excavating Tell Jericho right now. And a lot of your academia, pointy-headed, smart people. Now, not every pointy-headed, smart people are like that. There's good pointy-headed, smart people. But a lot of them, the liberals will tell you, there were no walls around Jericho. Well, yeah, there were. There's not, there were not any walls around the modern Jericho, but there were walls around the old Jericho. They've already discovered it. They found all the ruins of those walls. And we could get into the whole display of how that happens. If you want that, ask me after church and I'll tell you. Uh, they date stuff over there by the pottery. And they have actually found the pottery from Canaan in the old tell Jericho. It's there. That was where it all went down. And you can see where those walls collapsed down and actually created a ramp for God's people to go up into Jericho. So we're sitting eating in Jericho and I'm feeding this bread to the peacocks. Remember this? this? It was a filthy place. But the food was kind of good. And uh, there wasn't a lot to see in Jericho because it's, it's, it's overran by uh, Arabs anymore, Palestinian or Arabs. And it's a pretty hostile place to get into. But I wanted to go anyway. Because I love to see what God does miraculously. So we are, we're not that far. Actually, the restaurant where we're eating, you can look through the trees and there is Tell Jericho. Now, we didn't go into the ruins, but there's Tell Jericho. And you've got to understand my imagination. And so I'm imagining, here is this little temple prostitute. We, I understand Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. Jericho is over 5,000 years old. And so is the first city that it's the first fruits of God that belong to God. All that, I'll let Bishop Mayo preach all that. But the culture there is an old culture. It's a, it's a prehistoric culture. It's a culture of the worship of Nanar, the moon god. And this was a very common worship in that time. Nanar was the moon god. This is where we get the best of virgins. And it was part of the culture that they would go through and they would find the most beautiful and the most pure girls and they would take them into the temple and those were known as the best of virgins. They were the brides of the moon. And each new moon, they, were, they would take one of those beautiful girls up to the top of the pyramid and they would sacrifice her so that she could be the new bride for the new moon. Now the rest of the young ladies that didn't make that cut, they would snatch them out of the house and they would use them as temple prostitutes so that while there was a celebration going on for the new moon, these other young ladies were used as objects of perverted worship to Nanar the moon god and so you were supposed to celebrate in sexual perversion that he got a new bride and this is more than likely what we are seeing when we come to this young lady named 
Rahab. Y'all still with me? Man, y'all are quiet. And I could talk about all of this. This is what God delivered Abraham from. This was the worship of that fertile crescent. And in some other time I may come and talk a little bit more about it because uh, God actually delivered Abraham right before Ur was destroyed by the Gutai people. If you read the Hittite history. And so when Abraham, if Abraham would have stayed there, he'd have died. And all of this, according to Hittite history, was a deal that was made between the priest of Ur, the idolatrous priest of Nanar, the moon god, and the Gutite people. And what they did is they made a deal with the priest of Ur to tell the people that their god would save their gods, Nanar, the moon god, would save them and leave the gates open so that the Gutite people could come in and destroy them. And so the Gutai people came in and destroyed the city of Ur. You can find all of this in history. And guess who are the first people that the Gutai people killed? was the priest that they made a deal with. So all of you that are listening to all of these social media pastors and all of this kind of stuff that are telling you leave the gates open, leave the walls down, God's going to take care of you, you are set free, you don't have to. I, that, that, that's a whole other message for another time. But I'll tell you, you best just get you a, a good old preacher like this. Get you somebody that walks with God and says, no, we're not going to leave the gates open. No, we're not going to bring the walls down. We're going to preach it the way God has commanded us to preach. We're going to live it the way that God has commanded us to live. And we're going to make it all the way to heaven. So, God, time. It's like the little frog he said, time's fun when you're having flies. I got to hurry. Rahab is in this culture. It is popular for her to be immoral. It is popular for her to look immoral. It is popular for her to talk, for her to talk immoral. In fact, the more immoral she is, kind of like Hollywood, the more immoral you are, the more they'll make a hero out of you. That's the culture that she lives in. But secretly, Rahab is sick of this. She doesn't want to be a part of this. I know this. I know this from reading Hebrews. She doesn't want to be in this trash. And they have heard about the powerful move of God with the children of Israel. And you you can see this. I read it to you. They have heard that, that God is going before her God. I wish I could... I wish I could articulate this the way God revealed it to me because she is so familiar with this culture but here is this culture that is being introduced to her and here is this God that is being introduced to her that is just amazing and lo and behold two of these very men from this army come to her house on the wall and say Man, they're chasing us. Can we? And she, and she hides them. And then she goes and lies to everybody and tells them, they're not here. They went on down there. And then she comes back. And I can see in my mind's eyes, she probably grabbed the lapel of one of them and said, look, I know what your God has done. I'm telling you something. She was convinced that Jehovah God was real. She was convinced that Jehovah God was saving his people. She was violating everything that her culture taught her. 
She was violating everything her mom and dad taught her. She was violating everything her school taught her. She was going against the peer pressure of everybody around her. And she says, look, I'll make a deal with you. If you don't turn me in, I will. I, I, you can hide in my house. Just promise me when you come and your God takes down this city, promise me that your God will save me and my family. And, and they said, okay, this is what we'll promise. I'll let somebody else preach this. This is what we'll promise. We will promise that everybody that's in your house... If they're in your house, then we will promise you that we will save them. They have to be in your house. They can't be in anybody else's house. Don't let your uncle argue with you and say, well, my house is better than your house. Don't let your grandma argue with you and say, well, we've been doing it in this house all of our life, and my grandpa was this way, and our uncle was this way. No, you, can't, you can't give in to that peer pressure. you got to get to Rahab's house. you got to get in there. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. There is only one baptism. There's only one way to get to heaven. You have to repent. You have to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And you will speak in other tongues. That's how the Christian church started. That's where the whole Christian church came from. On the day of Pentecost, don't let anybody else lie to you. Don't let them talk to you about Martin Luther, who was a Jew hater and gave Hitler the idea on how to kill Jews. Yeah, go read it. You know what, you guys, I'm sorry. You got a history buff here today. That's right. Lutheran was a Jew hater. He gave Hitler the idea on how to kill Jews. And I'm not following Calvin, who hated Jesus Christ as one God so much that he burned Michael Servetus at the stake and plastered his one God book all over his body, tore the pages out and plastered them on him and burned him with green wood so that he would suffer. That's not a Christian attitude. Christ didn't come to kill everybody that disagrees with him. That's not how we build a church. How'd I get up on that? That's, no, no. You got to get to Rahab's house. In Rahab's house, there's deliverance. There's a promise. There's hope. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole pressure when the walls are coming down and everybody's screaming as a soliloquy and a colloquialism of American, screaming bloody murder. If you're from somewhere else, please forgive me. And all of that is going on. They got to stay in that house. Now, I want the music to come because I'm actually closer to being done than you think I am. Band, the whole band. I don't go halfway. I want the whole band. Now, I could talk about all this. We could talk about the scarlet thread. It hangs out the window. You got to hang that scarlet thread out the window. Make sure it's out there. Make sure we can see. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That the plague shall not be upon you. In your house. 
I almost preached about the blood this morning because in a lot of churches there's a blood shortage. Did you know in America there's a severe blood shortage right now? In America, there's a terrible blood shortage right now because nobody wants to give blood. Everybody's so strung out on marijuana and drugs and everything else, they can't give blood anymore. I come from Colorado, brothers and sisters. When you talk about having a green card in Colorado, it's a whole different definition. And so, here is this little lady that really all she wants, she wants to be saved. She wants her family to be saved. And here are these two guys. And I'm driving down the road listening to a children's story about this story and the Lord hit me and I had to pull over to the side of the road and I started sobbing why why did God need spies he didn't need spies if you study the history those walls came down filled created a ramp He didn't need those spies to go in and look for some deficiency in the armor of Jericho. When God wants a wall to come down, he don't need your help. And he don't need my help. When God wants to take over something, he don't need you and he don't need me. But I'll tell you this. Your need is not the realm that God operates in. If God operated in the realm of need, there would be no needs in the world. You've got to hear me, brothers and sisters. This kind of sounds technical, but it's not. God operates in the realm of your faith. And if you can believe it, He can do it. If you can believe that He can save your family, He can save your family. Oh, I know. I know, Mama. I watched my grandma pray for my aunt, my aunt Darlene. She's the only sibling of my parents that's a, of my dad that's alive. The rest of them are dead. My dad's gone. My uncle's gone. My other aunt is gone. But Aunt Darlene is still here. She's 81 years old. But she lived estranged from God for over 40 years. Had a husband. They were pastors. Pentecostal preacher. Pastors. He ran off with another woman. And Darlene got bitter about it. Went into the depth of sin. And I watched my grandmother pray for 40 years, 38 years for my Aunt Darlene. 38 years she prayed. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and I'm quoting the Bible, unmovable. In the work of God, in as much as you know that your work, your labor is not in vain. 38 years. I'd ask my dad, do you think Aunt Darlene will ever be saved? He said, I don't know, son. I'd ask my grandma, oh yeah, she'll be saved. How do you know that, grandma? Because I'm believing God, she's going to be saved. 
Because I'm believing God, she's going to be saved. I'm telling you, I didn't come here to mess around. I didn't come here to impress anybody. But I'm trying to ignite somebody's faith here. I'm trying to get you off of the mat where the devil has put you down and said, There's no way. That will never happen. They're gone. You might as well quit praying for them. There's nothing you can do to stop that. I come against that in the name of Jesus Christ today. Oh God, let a gift of faith. Let the gift of faith sweep over this congregation right now, God. Let the gift of faith get a hold of that mama. I know it hurts, mama. I know it hurts, but pray one more time. That's my baby, God. That's my baby. I'm not going to let him go, God. That's my baby. Come on, Daddy. Come on. Maybe you got a kid that's deep in a drug addiction. And every book you've read tells you there's no hope. Let me introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me introduce you to a God that'll operate if you can just say, I believe you, God. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. no reason for those spies not one reason except there was a little harlot that had the faith that if I can get a hold of this God he'll bring me out I've watched what he's done to other people. I don't care how deep you are in sin today. Maybe you're online watching this. It doesn't matter how deep you are in sin. It doesn't matter about all of the the counselors that have told you. You just got to learn to live with this. Because there's not going to be. I'm preaching against that disease. I'm preaching against that hopelessness. I'm telling you, if you got the faith to say, just get me to Jesus. Just get me to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. When God saw the faith of that little harlot, he said, stop the whole shebang. Stop it. Stop it. I'm going to do miracles, and I'm going to bring those walls down in a little bit. But there's a little girl that's got faith in me. There's somebody that believed that I can help her. And I'll bankrupt heaven. Did you hear what I said? I said he'll bankrupt heaven to help somebody that's got the faith to believe that he can help them. That'll touch somebody that's got the faith to believe that he can touch them. been feeling this for days God's going to break some strongholds of unbelief in here today, right now, right in this place, let me tell you how it starts, now some of you, you're like Naaman, you want to do some great feat and fireballs come out of the ceiling and all this kind of stuff, no, let me tell you how you break the chains of unbelief, first you open your mouth and you start saying, I believe you God, I believe you I believe you. See, you're, some of you are still looking at me. You're so cerebral anymore. You think it's got to run through your logic and your reasoning. No, it's got to run through your obedience and your response to the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost touches you. That's where you start. It's real simple. I believe you, Lord. 
Did you know you can have faith and unbelief at the same time? I said you can have faith and unbelief at the same time. I know some people that have the faith to get the Holy Ghost. But they don't believe God can deliver them of their marijuana addiction. But he can this year. Oh, I've seen him do it so many times. He can set you free. I watched a little girl last Sunday night. We had Pastor Urshan preaching for us in Pueblo. That little girl, she's beautiful. She's got the most darling little boy. And she's shouting and she's talking in tongues. And she's praying with another little lady that's trying to come out of drug addiction. But just a few months ago, that young lady was living in a lesbian lifestyle. Living in drugs and all bondage and been that way for years. And everybody told her, you know, you're born that way. There's no way out of that. You got to hear me. You got to quit listening to all those lying spirits that are telling you that you can't get out of that. I'm preaching to some brother that's struggling with pornography today. God will set you free, brother. He'll set you free, brother. But you got to come out and you got to say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And right now, while I feel the Holy Ghost moving, let's just close our eyes. Now, you don't have to close your eyes, but just close your eyes to give people privacy right now. There's people here that are dealing with things. Close your eyes, please. Nobody looking around. If you need God to do something in your life, whatever it is, maybe, maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you've got a child that you're just so worried about. Church, will you help me pray right now? God's going to do some things. Whatever it is, can you just raise your hand and say, Preacher, you're preaching to me. That's it. Now why don't you just raise your other hand and just start talking to him. I believe you, Lord. I believe you. I don't know how, don't know when, don't know where, but I believe you. I believe you. Come on. Come on. Will you, will you lift up your voice with me, church? Now, I'm going to ask some of you. This is the harder one. But this is, this is tying action to your belief. Every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Why don't you just step out from where you're standing? I know God could do what he wants to do where you're standing. But as an act of faith, just an action of faith, just God... God could have healed that man without ever tearing the roof off of that house. But the action, response of faith, who else? Who else? Come on. Come on. That's it. That's it. Yes. 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 Let it be done right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, make room. Make room in this altar. room in this altar I keep feeling somebody wants a baby I don't know if that's spiritual or physical but I keep feeling that in my spirit right now lift your hand up whoever I'm preaching to right now whoever I'm preaching to right now there's some sickness in this place that's going to go today that's it 
That's it. That's it, my brother. That's it, my sister. <laughs> That's it, sister. That's it, sister. He's listening to you. He's listening to you, my brother.